kingdom of priests. And we're going to learn a bit more about what it means um, to be a kingdom of priests. And where this um, series is coming from, this is coming from the, the scripture. We're drawing this from the scripture in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6, where Jesus says that he has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. Jesus has made us, you and me, a kingdom of priests for God his Father. But, you know, if we don't understand what this means, it sounds great. But if we don't understand what it means, we're never going to walk in it. And so today we're going to start unfolding this a little bit and laying a foundation for what it means for us to be kings and priests. And I want to so encourage you to get involved in the learning that we'll be doing over the next six weeks. For the first two weeks, we'll be learning about the different conditions of prayer. Every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, there'll be a little post on WhatsApp and Facebook. I encourage you to follow because all of us are in a place in our lives, I'm sure, where we've prayed for things and we haven't received the answer, right? Well, that's because there's some conditions that we need to um, adhere to in order for us to get answers to prayer. And if you start, if you follow with us during this season, it, there will also be in a few weeks time, we're going to have a corporate prayer and fasting for one week. We'll be joining together with our open churches back in Denmark. They'll also be joining us and we'll be praying together every day on the same devotional. We'll be praying into the same prayer requests so that we're all standing together in prayer during that time. So I believe God is going to do great things in our midst during this season. And as we come to God in prayer, I want us to begin by understanding that he, what, that he really wants us to come. That's the very first thing. I, really, I just want this to be so cemented in your hearts that God really wants you to come. Many of us need to change our, our perception of God because we have this idea of God that he's a real mean um, he's in a bad mood, and you don't really want to disturb him because he's too busy. So some people, they just come creeping in when it's absolutely necessary and ask God, please, God, I need your help here. And you're scared that he's going to hit you over the head because he's got more than enough to do already, and now you're disturbing him. Many of us kind of get these funny images of God because we've seen our own fathers, and maybe our fathers haven't been very approachable. And if we've asked our dad for something, he says, go away, you're disturbing me. I'm busy. But your God, your father in heaven is not like that. He wants you to come. Many of us need to change our picture of God before we can pray effectively. But we also need to deal with guilt and condemnation because I don't know about you, but I've failed many times in the area of prayer. And when I think about becoming better at prayer, the first thoughts that start coming at me are, oh, well, you've failed so many times. What makes you think you're going to get better? Or you haven't prayed enough and, and you start feeling guilty and you think, how can I approach God in prayer? Because I failed so much. I feel guilty. I've been prayerless. And then we just stay away from him instead of coming close. He wants us to come. Regardless of where you're at in your prayer life right now, if your prayer life is non-existent, he still wants you to come. The Bible gives a beautiful picture of how God welcomes us when we come to him. It's from Jesus' well-known story about the prodigal son who strayed away from home 
We know the story well, most of us, where he was given his inheritance and he went and he squandered his whole inheritance and wasted it on money and drugs and girls. And at the end of the day, when he had nothing left, all his friends had departed. He was in real deep trouble and he ended absolutely down and out. He was living with the pigs, looking after pigs. And he was so hungry, he was eating the food of the pigs. And I don't know how desperate you got to be to do that. But the kind of food I feed my dogs, they like it. But when I look at it, I'm like, eesh, I've got to be really hungry to eat that food that the dogs are eating. So this guy was really desperate, completely down and out. And the Bible says about him, one day he came to his senses and he thought, even the servants in my father's house are better off than I am here. And I don't deserve to be called a son after what I've done. But maybe if I go back and beg him to take me in as a servant, at least I'll have food to eat. And so the Bible says in Luke chapter 15 and verse 20, the son got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. This is a beautiful picture of how God receives us. No matter how many times we've failed, fallen short, been prayerless, um, sinned against God, made mistakes, no matter where you're at. The reason God wants you to come and welcomes you is because we don't come in, in our own merit. We come in the merit of Jesus. We come in him when we come. And so the father, when he sees you, here it says, while he was still a long way off. It means that the father was anxiously staring on the horizon day after day, hoping, praying that his son would come back. And that's God's heart for you and me this morning. I want you to get this so strongly in your heart that he wants you to come. Because as we're studying on prayer, if you don't believe this in your heart, that God wants you to come, you're still going to stay away. So that's the first thing. He wants you to come. He doesn't scold you. He doesn't blame you. He's not stern and distant, but he's loving and warm and gracious towards you. James chapter 1 and verse 5 says that God gives generously to all without finding fault. What a beautiful father. He gives generously to all, not to some, to all without finding fault. That's his heart for you this morning. So not only does he want you to come, the second thing that you've got to really believe in your heart is that he wants to, you to get what you pray for. God wants us to get what we pray for. Some of us think that, yeah, well, God just likes us to pray. But because we've had those experiences where our prayers haven't been answered, we think, well, maybe God just likes us coming in prayer. But it doesn't work for me. Maybe it works for others. And we've kind of given up on prayer. But I just want you to hear some of these things that you've heard before. But just listen once again to the generosity of your God in Jesus' teaching when he was here on earth. He said in Matthew chapter 7, Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. 
Can you hear that? For everyone who asks receives. So this is not just for somebody. It's not just for some special holy uh, people who can ask. It's for everyone who asks. In Matthew 21, 22, Jesus said, All things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. All things, not some things. When we learn to pray correctly, we can pray with such confidence that we can know that all the things we ask for in prayer, when we believe, we will receive. What a promise of God. Again, Mark eleven twenty four. we heard that one this morning. Uh, Sylvester was sharing it in our, in, in our intercession. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Whatever. That's a pretty broad statement. Whatever. Anything. Again, in John 14, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, it will be done. Isn't this so comprehensive? I mean, what an amazing thing. God has, Jesus has promised us so many times in the Bible that we should just ask, ask, and I'll give you. Last scripture here. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, so that your joy may be full. So God wants us to ask, and he wants us to receive, because there's a special kind of joy that is reserved for us that we receive when we get answer to prayer. Wow, it's this amazing thing that we can know Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, the ruler of the whole universe, and know that his ear is open to our prayer, to our individual prayer, not just corporate prayer, but you as a person. He hears you when you pray. Not only does he hear you, but he wants to do what you ask him to do. That is so amazing. And God wants each of us to walk in that experience in our lives. And I pray that during these six weeks where we've lost our track in prayer, where we've become discouraged and disheartened, that our faith will arise again, that we will grab hold of the tools that we need in order to pray effectively, and we will rise up and become all that God wants us to be. So let's hold on to those two truths right from the beginning. God wants you to come, and he wants you to have what you ask for. But Jesus didn't just teach by word. He also led by example in his own life. And we're going to look a bit about on, on Jesus' life and follow him into the realm of prayer as we begin to look at what it means to be kings and priests. So number one, we're going to look at Jesus' ongoing life of prayer. And I want us to look at the scripture in Isaiah chapter 53. That's a very common um, chapter, Isaiah 53, very well-known chapter about Jesus' sacrifice as the lamb that was led to the slaughter. But I want to look at the last verse in verse 12. It says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for 
the transgressors. So just in this verse here that we have here, there are four things that Jesus did for us. The first one says, he poured out his soul to death. In Leviticus chapter 17 and 11, it says that the life or the soul of the flesh is in the blood. So Jesus poured out his soul or he poured out his blood till every last drop was shed for you and me when he hung on that cross. The second thing we see here is that he was numbered among the transgressors. The Bible says that he was crucified on the cross between two thieves. The third thing, he bore, sorry, he bore the sin of many. Jesus became the sin offering for all of us. Jesus, who had never known any sin, took our sin upon himself on that tree. And number four, he made intercession for the transgressors. When Jesus hung there on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. And in effect, Jesus was saying, the judgment that belongs to them, let it come upon me. Jesus did the most intense intercession that you can ever do, standing in the gap for you and me when he died there on the cross. And he took our sin on himself. Jesus made the most extreme intercession possible at the cross of Calvary. But his life of prayer did not stop at his death and his resurrection. We read in Hebrews chapter 7, let's look at that scripture, verse 24 to 25. He, Jesus Christ, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood, one that never passes from him to other people. Therefore, in the light of this priesthood, he is always able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus lives to make intercession for you and me. And that is why he can save you to the uttermost. No matter how many times you've failed and fallen short, the salvation in Jesus is is complete because he lives to make intercession for you. This scripture gives us a rather interesting perspective in, of, of Jesus' timeline because he spent about 30 years in obscurity in his family life, just a quiet family life. And then he spent three and a half years in dramatic, powerful ministry, culminating in a cross where he died for us. And now he's spent just over 2,000 years in intercession. What an amazing Savior. If you think that Jesus just came to earth, did his thing, and now he's sitting at the throne waiting for us to do our thing, you're wrong. Because he's sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and me. That is what the Bible says. This is what Jesus is doing. How incredible is this? Let's just give a hand of appreciation to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. What a faithful Savior we have. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19 says, Behind the second veil, the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus. Having become high priest forever 
according to the order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, was priest of the Most High God. Do you remember last year when we were studying um, the series Holiness and Worship and we were looking at the tabernacle? I hope some of you remember that because there was like the outer court and then there was a, a curtain that separated the outer court from the holy place. And if you remember during that series, we were looking at all the different pieces of furniture in the holy place. And then there was a second veil or a second curtain which separated the holy place from the holy of holies. The place where the Shekinah glory of God came, the throne room of God. So this is what this scripture is talking about. Jesus went beyond the second veil. Now, in the Bible, we were looking at this as well, how much symbolism there is in the tabernacle of, Dave, of Moses. But here, the first veil speaks of being united with Christ in his resurrection when we go into the holy place. But going beyond the second veil into the holy of holies means going beyond resurrection to his ascension. It is here that believers, you and me, are identified with Jesus in his ascension. We're seated with him on his throne. This is what Ephesians says. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6. And God raised us, you and me. He raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Did you know that? Did you know that God has seated you with Jesus in the heavenly places and you are actually ruling with him? Maybe you're not ruling with him effectively because you don't understand the authority that he's given you. And this is what we want to learn over these coming weeks. What is this that Jesus has called us to? Making us a kingdom of priests for our God. So when Jesus entered through the second veil as a priest after the order of Melchizedek, the writer of Hebrews is saying... That the heavenly order is that of a king and a priest. Behind the second veil, Jesus is priest and king. And we have the opportunity to share with him in this ministry. So what is the ministry of a priest? If we get to share in this ministry, what is it? Okay, let's look at that. The ministry of a priest. First of all, if we look at the function of a king, I think with a king, not a lot of us are confused what a king does. Basically, a king rules, right? A king has authority over a kingdom, and he rules. So we understand what it is to be a king, but we don't understand so much what it is to be a priest. And this is what we want to look at a little bit more. Let's start with the one word that describes the unique ministry of a priest, and that's the word sacrifice, the word sacrifice. In the big book of Hebrews, we find actually many places that there's a relationship is mentioned between a priest and the word sacrifice. Hebrews 8 verse 3 says, every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So a priest is somebody who offers sacrifices. Okay? Are you with me? A priest is someone who offers sacrifices. We can also turn this around and say that the only people in the Bible whom God authorized 
to offer sacrifices to him were the priests. And in fact, the Levitical priesthood. Because we find in the Bible, not only do we find people who tried to do sacrifices and offer unholy incense, and they were killed instantly. We also have two kings, both Saul and Uzziah, who offered sacrifices. And both of them were judged severely by the Lord because they weren't priests and they were doing this without authorization. So according to the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, only priests were authorized to bring sacrifices on behalf of the people. So no person could approach God with a sacrifice or an offering unless that person was a priest. People in general were not entitled just to walk up to God. God is the great God of all the universe, and there's protocol how to approach him. We can't even just come with a gift and a tithe. Back in the Old Testament, they couldn't do that. They had to go through a priest. So on this basis, it, makes, it, it sounds a bit contradictory when we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, because that speaks of us bringing sacrifices. Let's look at 1 Peter 2 and verse 5. It says, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. So under the new covenant, God has made us a holy priesthood. But we're not Levitical priests, any of us, are we? You had to be a Jew and to be of the lineage of the Levites to be able to do that. And we're not that. So let's understand, what kind of priests are we? Because the only priests that were allowed in the Old Testament were the Levitical priests. And none of us are Jews here, and none of us are Levitical priests. So how can we offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God? I'll let you know now. Number three, Jesus had a higher priesthood a higher priesthood, a greater priesthood than that of the Levitical priests. So during his days on earth, Jesus wasn't a Levite. In Hebrews, it makes it clear. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 4, the Bible says that if he were here on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who do offer gifts according to the law. So Jesus didn't come from the tribe of Levi. Therefore, he didn't have the authority to offer sacrifices like the Le Levitical priesthood did. But Jesus had a different kind of priesthood. And that one, we looked at this script bri scripture briefly before. I just want to read it again and help us to understand because I find this so fascinating. I remember as a kid, I used to read about Melchizedek and I didn't know who is this chap. Well, let's just learn a little bit more about him today. But I'm just going to read Hebrews 6. It says, we have this hope. Hallelujah. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. It's firm and it's secure. It enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become the high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and he blessed him. So the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And his name revealed um, 
so we see here from his name that he was a king. Melchizedek was a king. Not only was he a king, but it says he was in the position of a priest of Salem. And Salem means peace. Who do we know who's the king of righteousness and the prince of peace? Have you heard those titles before? That's our Savior, Jesus Christ. I find it fascinating that a number of places in the Old Testament, before Jesus actually came on earth as a child in his reincarnation, Jesus came to earth in different forms. And this is one of the places where he met with um, Abraham as Melchizedek um, in here. So I just want to read that scripture to you from Genesis 14. Just bear with me a little bit and you'll um, begin to understand, hopefully, what I'm trying to bring across to you today. And in verse 18 in Genesis 14, it says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, the creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. I remember reading this scripture and really thinking, this is so weird. I don't understand. Who's this guy, Melchizedek, who's shown up all of a sudden? And how come he's, um, well, how come he's praying for Abraham? Who is he? But the Levit Levitical priesthood under the law of Moses was a secondary inferior priesthood, as I told you before. And there is a permanent eternal priesthood, which was, the, um, was, which was that of Melchizedek which is the order of Jesus. Jesus is this high priest, and he's part of a higher order than the Levitical priesthood. It's interesting to note that Abraham offered tithes to Melchizedek. This is the first time we hear about um, tithing, and Abraham offered this tithe to Melchizedek, and in return, Melchizedek gave Abraham two things, bread and wine. Now, we all know what the bread and wine signify. I wonder if Abraham knew at that time when he was given this meal of bread and wine. But at the Last Supper, when Jesus gave the bread and the wine to his disciples, not only did, was it a picture, and Jesus explained the picture to his disciples then and said, this is my blood that is being shed for you. This is my body that is being broken for you. Jesus explained that to them. But not only did he do that, but in these elements, the disciples saw the priesthood of Melchizedek. And Jesus was saying, this priesthood is being reinstated in me. Jesus is part of an eternal priesthood from before the beginning of time right through to now. Even now, he sits as priest forever in heaven, interceding on our behalf. So since Jesus was a priest, he offered sacrifices even while he was here on earth. So he wouldn't have been able to if he was not a Levitical priest, but because he was part of a higher priesthood, he had a right to do that. And we read that in Hebrews chapter 5 and um, verse 6. It says that Jesus, during his days, the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears. So Jesus did not only intercede for you and me when he hung on the cross, 
also during his days on, of, on, of the flesh. What that means, while, be, while he walked on the earth, he offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears. So Jesus interceded. He sacrificed prayer offerings to God on your behalf, on behalf of people, even while he walked on the earth. And he continues to do that even in heaven. So this example set by Jesus shows what God wants us to become. We want to follow in the example of Jesus. We want to imitate Jesus. We want to become like him. And if we look back at Revelations chapter 1, verse 5 to 6, it says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So, God has made us, Jesus has made us to be a kingdom of priests. In different translations, it says different things. However it is worded, some places it says that he's made us a kingdom and priests. Other translations says that he's made us kings and priests or a kingdom of priests. But however you word it, basically, God is encouraging us to embrace two of the highest functions that we can have as believers that is available to man. It's God's destiny and purpose for his people to be a kingdom of priests. But what does it mean experientially? What is it God actually wants us to do? Well, as kings, we're to rule in his kingdom. And as priests, we're meant to offer sacrifices. But notice that there's a specific connection here. We're a kingdom and priests, or a kingdom of priests. God doesn't want us to be one or the other. And I think some of us would be like, yeah, I want to be the one who rules. You can do the praying part. I'll do the ruling part. But here there's a connection. God makes us a kingdom of priests or kings and priests. We have to be both things. God's people are not one or the other. As people of a kingdom, it is our responsibility to rule the world. And only when we learn to minister as priests can we do this. So God wants us to rule, but we've got to learn to minister as priests before we can rule. What kind of spiritual sacrifice does God expect us to offer? Just as Jesus offered sacrifices, prayers, and petitions during his life on earth, so should we. When we learn to pray, we are qualified to rule. Did you hear that? When we learn to pray, then we're qualified to rule. God wants us to rule and reign with him here on earth. But we cannot learn to rule and reign. We cannot receive the authority to rule if we don't receive it in the place of prayer. We need to learn to pray. Then we are qualified to rule. 
choosing to understand the power of prayer and to take our place as a person of prayer in God's kingdom is a big moment. It's an important thing for us to obey God's call. Because God has called us to be a kingdom of priests. And our responsibility is to rule by prayer. If I asked you today, who are the most influential people in the world? Some of you would say presidents or governors or dictators. But I want to submit to you. That if Jesus Christ, who said, all authority in heaven on an earth belong to me. If we team up with him in prayer, there's nothing that the church of God cannot do. The church is more powerful and influent, has the potential to be more powerful and influential than any government in the world today. Than any authority in the earth today. But it requires us to team up with him. Because in ourselves, we can do nothing. But when we team up with God in prayer, we can move mountains for him. So the question today is, are we willing to take up this call of God on our lives? He's made us a kingdom of priests to serve our God. But are you willing to serve him in this way? Are you willing to say, God... I'm not a strong person of prayer right now. I, I don't see myself as a prayer warrior. I've re not really learned how to really influence change through my prayer. But if you're calling me to do it, and if you want me to come, and if you want to answer my prayers, then I'm willing to say, God, use me. God, I want to stand in the gap. I want to rule with you in the earth today. I want to influence change in my city and my nation. I don't want to be one of those kind of people that when trouble comes, I run and hide. No, God never called us to do that. He called us as a church to be like a light, a, like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. He wants us to stand out boldly for the truth, to influence for change. Are we willing to do that? So you may not consider yourself a strong person of prayer now. But if you offer yourself, God can fashion you. It probably means that you need to change some of the things, that, the way you've been doing things before. But the difference will be answered prayer. And remember Jesus said, he wants to answer our prayers that our joy may be full. There is such a joy when we see God answering prayer, seeing that we can partner with him to see his kingdom come here on earth. So I want you just to stand. Let's stand together where you are right now. Let's just search our hearts for a moment. Just look at your heart and where you're at in prayer. Are you a prayerful person? Or are you longing to grow in prayer? Are you one of those people who try to avoid God's presence as much as possible? Because you think he's a stern father. 
who won't welcome you. Today, the Father wants to tell you how much he loves you, how much his arms are open wide, just like the prodigal son, longing to embrace you, to receive you, to kiss you. And he wants to partner with you in prayer. This often reminds me of the story about the elephant and the little mouse. I've told this story before. But it was a little mouse that was good friends with a big elephant. And he was sitting on top of the elephant between his ears. And they walked across a bridge. And the little mouse said to the elephant, wow, look at that. We're so powerful. The whole bridge is shaking. It is not you and me that's powerful, but it's who we partner with that makes us powerful. And if you choose to say, God, I'm nothing in myself. He knows that already. But he's ready to partner with you and make a difference in this world. Are we ready? to obey, to um, respond to his call upon our life this morning to prayer? Are we willing to give this next six weeks, give a focus in our life on getting the foundation right in our prayer lives so that we begin seeing answers to prayer, that we start growing in our faith to believe God for greater things, because as we do, we believe that God is going to do greater miracles than what we've seen before. He's going to move in a mighty way, but he's waiting for us to partner with him and to speak into existence what is already in the spirit, to speak it into existence in the physical. just want you, each one of you, where you are, just speak to the Lord right now. If you need to repent from prayerlessness or ask forgiveness for whatever may, may be. Jesus. I just want us to make um, a declaration in of faith this morning. If you if you're here and you're saying, I want to respond, God, to your call to pray. I want to be a king and a priest in your kingdom. I want to respond to you. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to commit myself to this process. 
Let's just have our eyes closed. This is between you and God. But I want you just to lift your hand as an indication to God that God, yes, I'm in, God. I'm in. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to become what you want me to become. If you're here and you just want to say that to God to this morning, you just want to say, God, yes. Yes, God. I might have failed you. I might have fallen short, but I'm ready, Father God. I'm saying yes. I want to grow in you this week, these coming weeks. I want to stand in the gap. I want to become and fulfill that destiny that you have upon my life to be a king and a priest. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus, we respond to your call. Jesus, we respond to your call. Thank you for going ahead of us, for being an example, for laying your life down for us. And thank you that through your sacrifice, you have made us to be a kingdom of priests to your God, to our God. We come to you, Jesus, not in our own merit or goodness, but we come knowing that you receive us with open arms this morning and welcome us into your embrace. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're our teacher. And over these coming weeks, you will teach us, you will guide us, you will instruct us, and that we will grow in the art of prayer, that we will become prayer warriors, even if we never saw ourselves to be that. Holy Spirit, you're able to make us that. We give ourselves to you this morning, Spirit of God. Have your way in our lives. Change our city. Change our nation. Through your people who commit ourselves to pray, to stand in the gap, and to pray. Change our work environments. Change our school environments, our universities, our workplaces, God, wherever we are. Change them through us as we stand in the gap and we partner with you to see change around us, God, for your glory, for your honor, and your praise, Jesus. Thank you.